You're a busy provider trying to stay current with the latest HIV testing, prevention, and treatment guidelines, and your pockets are overflowing with note cards. You need a convenient, trustworthy source for HIV testing, treatment, prevention, and care protocols. All healthcare professionals have a role in stopping HIV. Introducing HIV Care Tools from the AIDS Education and Training Center program. The HIV Care Tools mobile app is simple, free, and fully functional offline or online. It features quick guides for HIV prevention, screening, testing, diagnosis, and treatment. HIV Care Tools provides common clinical calculators used in HIV management and provide validated screening tools for comorbidities such as depression, substance use disorders, and PTSD. And if you need clinician-to-clinician consultation, HIV Care Tools provides one-touch access to free clinical consultation services by a multidisciplinary team of experts. Take us with you. Download HIV Care Tools today. Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Brayman. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Carolyn Chu, Principal Investigator and Chief Clinical Officer of the AATC National Clinician Consultation Center, or the NCCC. Carolyn will be discussing ambiguous HIV testing results in the context of PrEP use. Welcome back, Carolyn. Thanks, Mariana. I'm really happy to be invited back to discuss a topic of clinical interest to your listeners. So first and foremost, why should this topic be on the radar for HIV care providers? Can you explain why this is so important? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. Um, So I kind of think of HIV testing and diagnostics as being sort of this relatively under-discussed area of HIV medicine that honestly, we probably ought to be all sort of keeping higher on the collective radar. Um, And I think it's for a few, you know, key reasons. Number one, um, Establishing a diagnosis of HIV infection isn't such a straightforward thing in some cases, and certainly I think PrEP is teaching us that. But number two, you know, sharing positive results sometimes, you know, leads to this entire cascade of events that can have great impact on people's lives, um, which might seem self-evident, but I think we probably just don't talk about it enough as maybe we ought to. Um, And so for those reasons, among others, it's just important to know, you know, how should we be optimally conducting HIV testing, but then also, you know, how do we interpret and apply those results correctly. Um, And in the context of PrEP use, um, these things can just be a lot less straightforward than how we might have thought them to be sort of at first blush, you know, prior to PrEP availability. So um, just to expand a little bit of, you know, sort of beyond that in terms of history and timing, most of your listeners are probably familiar with the CDC recommendations that were made regarding laboratory testing for establishing a diagnosis of HIV infection. But um, those were actually released back in 2014. Um, There were some subsequent sort of technical updates in the subsequent years. And then there was a quick guide, I think, that had been published in 2018. But then when we think of, okay, well, the first oral PrEP medications were FDA approved in 2012, but we didn't start to hear about these so-called, you know, quote unquote, breakthrough infections or even cases of unusual HIV testing results um, among people who were on PrEP until maybe 2016, 2017. So that would have been two to three plus years, right, after those CDC testing recommendations had come out. So I think that... um, you know, there are some areas in the CDC testing recommendations that, you know, just might be sort of difficult to apply or um, act on when we think about how to how to use them with PrEP care. What is happening that leads to ambiguous or unclear HIV testing results in the context of PrEP use? And how commonly does this occur in practice? <laughs> 
Yeah, so here's the basic science question. I will try to do this justice. Um, so the underlying issue is that antiretroviral medications can basically alter the, the viremia that is associated with HIV infection. So we already know this, right, from treating people who are living with HIV since antiviral therapy leads to decreases in viral load. This is a key goal of treatment for people living with HIV and, you know, sort of the, um, the science behind major public health prevention initiatives. So from a treatment-related perspective, we want to see undetectable results on the clinical assays that that have been designed to either sort of quantify and tell us, you know, the level of viremia or simply to say yes or no, it's present or not present. But for people who are taking antiretrovirals as PrEP, just having these medications on board, you know, systemically, um, which they're taking for prevention purposes, right, that can actually modify the dynamics of the initial HIV viremia if someone were to acquire HIV, and it can also alter it can also alter the subsequent uh, antibody development that we would normally see, you know, after someone acquires a, an infection. And we have always historically, you know, thought of and characterized acute HIV syndrome as being this um, sort of flu-like um, entity that involves an initial burst of really, really high levels of virus um, that can sometimes lead to just like clearly evident signs or symptoms. Um, but what we're realizing is that for people or, you know, some people on PrEP who acquire HIV, um, there have just been more cases that are being described where this um, classic acute HIV syndrome or flu-like syndrome just doesn't manifest. Um, and so then concurrently, what we're seeing is that, um, you know, results on sort of our traditional HIV screening and testes, testing assays, they're just not um, necessarily consistent with what we have seen um, for someone with a new diagnosis that hasn't, you know, previously been on meds um, or PrEP. And basically, because people on PrEP have the systemic antiretroviral medications on board, that initial viremia curve that I was talking about, it sort of dampens or flattens out in some cases. And then the, uh, the sort of usual immune response um, from um, the immune system just looks a little bit different. And ultimately, this is going to impact the performance of our traditional um, sort of screening and testing algorithms. And then to your second question about how often we see this in clinical practice, it's it's really not that common overall at this point. I think, you know, there have been a few cases of so-called PrEP uh, breakthroughs or failures um, that have been reported among people taking oral PrEP. Um, and maybe at this point, there's about a two dozen or so published cases involving ambiguous testing results in people on oral PrEP. Um, but now I think what's really, you know, one of the things sort of driving this to the forefront of our conversations is that long-acting PrEP is now available, right? And there has um, been, there was the observation that some trial participants who did receive injectable cabotegravir, they had persistent uh, suppression of viral replication and sort of this delayed antibody expression. And ultimately that was sort of associated with having a delayed diagnosis of HIV infection. And so um, some of us are just trying to step back right now to kind of digest what's you know, what's going on? How is this gonna inform what we do in clinical practice now, but also in the years ahead? And I think to sort of maybe put a practical point on this, you know, because I'm a provider, I'm seeing patients regularly. I mean, you could be following someone on PrEP and you could get test results, which clearly don't fall into one bucket or another. And then you have to make a couple of really important decisions and have really, you know, potentially challenging conversations with patients. 
So, you know, you have to ask yourself, how am I going to communicate these test results that aren't clearly telling me, you know, A or B? Um, what am I going to say to a patient? You may or may not be HIV positive. I'm not really sure. Like, you know, so we have to go through these next steps. Um, should I keep this person on PrEP? Should I still prescribe it knowing that they might actually have an HIV infection? And then if I keep them on PrEP, we always hear about, you know, HIV drug resistance. Well, then, then what happens? Um, or do I just say, well, you might be positive, and then because you might be positive, we need to start you on therapy that you're going to have to take for the rest of your life. Um, I just think there are so many sort of challenging scenarios that can come up within this, and we don't really clearly know at this point what sort of the single best um, path forward is. And, and, you know, just sort of taking the patient's position, like how would that feel to sort of be on the receiving end of some of this information, just completely confusing. We heard that the updated CDC PrEP guidelines have been challenging to adopt for various reasons. For some PrEP programs, the specific recommendation about additional, quote, viral load, unquote, testing under certain scenarios feels unnecessary or, you know, not feasible to implement. What are your thoughts on that? That is the million dollar question. Um, I agree. It can be a real challenge. And I think many HIV experts have rightly pointed out that incorporating viral load testing for every single patient on oral prep at every single follow-up visit just feels like it could be a stretch. Um, and, you know, this is not even to mention what the sort of cost-related implications might be at a systems level. And actually a group of providers from New York at Montefiore Medical Center, if I can um, give some kudos to my old hospital, they actually published what I thought was a really thoughtful piece on this um, in the in the last couple of months. And so, you know, any of your listeners who might be related or interested in just reading more about sort of the pros and cons about the updated testing recommendations, I think they should read that article. Um, so here are the two key things that I think about HIV testing and PrEP. One, any testing is better than no testing. Um, and then two, if you're going to have, you know, a, a particular testing um, strategy, you really should probably understand what the sort of scientific features are about that assay that you're using and any um, sort of technical characteristics or specifications of those tests that your lab is using. Because ultimately, I think having that information is going to help you better understand, and, you know, how to apply those tests in clinical practice. Um, I certainly don't think that the recommendations of additional viral load testing ought to hamper any, you know, scale up or rollout of PrEP. Um, I also don't think, it, you know, this should lead to any clinicians or programs feeling like they need to shy away from starting a pr program because I don't think that's the correct messaging or take-home point. Um, I do think that viral load testing makes a lot of sense for people who are receiving or going to be receiving the injectable cabotegravir. But at this point, I think there are, you know, relatively few people that are on injectable cab as PrEP. Um, so maybe at that systems level, you know, it sort of hasn't risen in terms of sort of the cost for really um, doing this across the board. Um, but, you know, if, if you're if you have a prep program that's still mostly prescribing oral um, PrEP and if what you can implement is sort of the pre-2021 screening recommendations, I think that's fine and, and, and we should do it. Um, and... The other piece is that, you know, viral load testing for people on oral prep still does have a place clinically, and I'm not trying to say that there's no role for it. Um, 
for example, I think of, you know, in the, the scenario where someone might be on oral prep, but they have a you know, temporary lapse in medication adherence, and maybe there you have some uh, symptoms or an exposure of concern. You know, I personally have a pretty low threshold for ordering a viral load. Um, but I also acknowledge that I work at a, a practice that's relatively well resourced. We have, um, you know, folks who are able to draw labs. I, you know, have a lab that I can, you know, send it off who's going to be able to process it quickly. Um, but I think at the end of the day, we just really have to remember these are guidelines. Um, these are testing algorithms. And there's always room for exercising clinical, you know, discretion for the individual patient. Has the NCCC received calls about these types of cases? And if so, what have you told callers when they reach out about a possible case involving ambiguous testing results? Yes, we have definitely received calls about um, cases involving ambiguous or just inconsistent, you know, unusual HIV testing results for people on PrEP. We've also regularly received calls um, about false positive results. And I think it's important to acknowledge that that is still, you know, pretty common um, and in fact probably occurs much more often than any of us would probably want to see, honestly. Um, but every call we've gotten, every case about this has been so individualized. Um, you know, at this point, there's no sort of single universal response that our consultants are offering to providers, it really is going to come down to, you know, the specific scenario at hand. Um, we might recommend that, you know, additional uh, labs be done, which are, you know, accessible just through sort of commercial reference labs. Um, or even public health labs. Um, for some cases, if a provider and a patient might be interested, we have shared information about sort of these specialty research designated assays that are available through some um, studies, including a collaboration with some folks here at UCSF. Um, and I think the updated CDC guidelines actually you know, made a point of trying to let PrEP providers know that A, our PrEP line is here and available to um, ask, or sorry, to answer questions about um, unusual or ambiguous testing results, but also that we can be a resource to help connect with some uh, research assays. For providers caring for people on PrEP who have ambiguous testing results or have acquired HIV in the setting of PrEP use, what other resources are available to provide additional training? Well, I will definitely start by mentioning our AETC program partners, which hopefully all of your listeners are very familiar with. Um, each regional AETC office works closely with um, many, many local AETC teams on the ground. Many of them, um, I think, you know, likely have faculty and program personnel who could be a great resource for additional training and technical assistance. Um, I've already mentioned the CDC guidelines quite a bit uh, today. And there are some um, articles that have been published on this topic, and all of them I've, I've found very, very informative. Uh, CDC also um, supports a sort of separate capacity building assistance provider network. I think that might be also another place to start looking if you're, you know, just interested in some HIV testing training in general. And then uh, IDSA Foundation, actually, they pulled together a really great, highly experienced panel of presenters for a webinar uh, that I think was released a couple months ago. It was focused on PrEP implementation and primary care, and they did really specifically try and address some of the testing-related challenges. So, I think for folks who are inclined to listen to webinars that are pre-recorded and available on demand, that one actually I, I would flag as being really helpful. Carolyn, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing information about this really interesting topic. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AATC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaatc.org. 
That's www.necaaetc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaatc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaatc.org. Stay safe, and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.